0: Please note, if you're listening to this, you must be 18 years of age or older. This podcast contains adult themes and may include descriptions that listeners could find offensive. Thank you. I have written 11 books, but each time I think, "Uh uh-oh, they're going to find out now, I've run a game on everybody, and they're going to find me out. Maya Angelou.
1: Welcome to the Kinky Nerdy Polly Podcast. This is Episode 8.
0: Alright, hi, this is M, and we have a very special guest today on our Kinky Nerdy and Polly Podcast. So for all of our listeners, we have Elle. Hello. Elle, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself?
1: Well, I am the female persona of G. I've been working on this persona for the past, I guess, three years at this point, three or four years. And this is, you know, I'm dressed up and got a little bit of makeup on. And
0: yeah, you're looking fantastic, very gorgeous.
1: Thank you, thank you. And uh, this is my feminine self.
0: Nice. Well, we are both happy to be doing this special topic today.
1: Yes. And the topic that we're talking about today, uh, which is very important to both M and myself, and the reason I chose this topic was because we'd had conversations talking about this in our own lives, and I felt like it was an important, it was important enough that I want to put it on our podcast, even though it doesn't specifically relate to kinky, nerdy, or poly. And the topic is imposter syndrome and being trans or queer enough. And I think M wanted to start us off with a mention of the trans lifeline.
0: Yeah, so I thought this is going to be a pretty heavy topic. So, you know, Elle and I are going to be talking about our experiences with being trans and being queer and feeling like we're not, you know, enough. And so because of that, we would just wanted to mention up front that the number for the trans lifeline, in case anybody needs that, is 877- That's 877-565-8860. And so if you happen to need someone to talk to due to anything in this podcast that might, you know, hit your feels a certain way, definitely utilize that resource. I myself have used it in the past and it's something that has been helpful for me. So I just wanted to put that out there before we get into this rather heavy topic.
1: Okay. So the first thing I think we should talk about is imposter syndrome and sort of what it is and what it means. So imposter syndrome is, I believe, an actual medically defined condition in psychology. I'm not 100% certain about that. But the basics of imposter syndrome is the belief that your achievements or your identity is not real or hollow. And this is a this is a syndrome that usually that affects nearly everybody at one point or another in their lives. It can affect you in your workplace, where it's like, I I obviously shouldn't be this manager or be in this position because obviously other people know more than me, and they're going to find out that I'm not as smart as they think I am, and they're going to fire me because I'm incompetent. It can affect us in academics. I'm obviously, you know, not good enough because I only made salutatorian, salut what's the second one? What? The second one, after valedictorian? I don't know. Salutatorian?
0: I didn't. I don't know any of these terms. I know valedictorian, but I don't know what the other ones are.
1: Oh, okay. And while this may be apocryphal, I do remember seeing a a post at one point talking about how Neil Gaiman was at a party, uh, which he did not feel like he belonged at, with all these other people who had achieved much more than Neil Gaiman had achieved. And he was talking to uh, Neil Armstrong, and Neil Armstrong told Neil Gaiman, I don't know why I'm here. They only, I only went where they sent me, to the moon. <laughs> so, you know, imposter syndrome. And, you know, I suspect if you looked up any celebrity, you would find an interview or something along the lines where they confess that they don't, they felt like they achieved something which they did not deserve achievement for.
0: I think not all, every celebrity will feel that way, but I feel like a good percentage might. Mm -hmm. And I feel like a lot of academics also feel like that. So I am an academic, you know, I'm going for my PhD and I recently got my research accepted to this one very important conference in my field. And I was kind of shocked that it was accepted. And part of me immediately was like, I don't deserve this. This is not good enough. Like, why did they even accept me? Like, you know, and I feel like that's something that happens a lot in academia even mm-hmm. when, and there's a lot of rejection in academia too. So I feel like that also builds on it. Yes. But yeah, there's a list of, so I'm looking at the Wikipedia for imposter syndrome and there's like a list of people, Maya Angelou, Emma Watson, Tom Hanks, Neil Gaiman's on here. So Michelle Obama. So there's a large list of people who have experienced this feeling,
1: mm-hmm. not
0: just celebrities, but.
1: Yeah. It, it is something that can affect anybody.
0: And it also, so you had mentioned a little bit about what it, what it's like. And so I just wanted to give the the definition that's sort of put out there that imposter syndrome is a psychological pattern in which an individual doubts their accomplishments and has a persistent internalized fear of being exposed as a fraud. So normally this does apply to more having to do with accomplishments, mm-hmm. but I think that this is still very applicable when we're talking about being queer or trans enough. Yes, um, because we still have this fear of being exposed as a fraud. I'm not mm-hmm. really trans. I know how many times have I thought that's myself and. It also says, like, in- individuals with imposterism incorrectly attribute their success to luck or as a result of deceiving others into thinking they are more intelligent than they perceive themselves to be. And so, again, we can equate this back to being trans or queer. So it could be thinking that it's a result of deceiving others into thinking that, you mm-hmm. know, we're more trans or we're more queer than we actually perceive ourselves to. Yes. And this research on imposter syndrome came mostly from looking at women, Mm-hmm. Like high-accomplished, high-accomplished, high-achieving women. Yes. And then later it was found that actually it does affect both men and women. And now, of course, we know that it affects people of any gender. Mm-hmm. So this is definitely one of those feelings that I feel like a lot of our listeners might be able to relate to.
1: Yes. As for myself, I've struggled with using the trans label or the queer label for a very long time. Because the way that I... The way that I started was I essentially wore a costume for a Halloween party. It was it was a comic book character, and I just realized the moment I say this comic book character, everybody's going to realize what my founder name is because <laughs> I drew my founder name from this comic book character. But we'll just keep on going on calling me Elle, and we'll let the listeners make their own- Their own deductions. Their own their deductions. Their own conclusions. I dressed up as Lucy- from the Wicked and the Divine. A very sort of feminine but androgynous character. And it felt it felt good in a way that I hadn't expected it to feel. To and you know, that's not you know, for for our listeners who have read those comics or want to quickly look up Lucy from The Wicked and Divine. It's not a very female presenting character, but it still felt very feminine to me. And it it was a powerful moment of of reflection on my part to sort of try to figure out why I was feeling this way. So after I dressed up as Lucy for Halloween, you know, I struggled with trying to figure out, like, am I actually trans? Do I feel body dysphoria to the extent that I want to transition to a woman? Am I just a cross-dresser? Am I gender fluid? I... I didn't know, and I, I tried to turn to the internet to try to figure this stuff out, and the internet was not particularly helpful in this particular case because it really comes down to how you feel and how you want to identify. Like, if I had wanted to identify as a crossdresser, I think nobody would have batted an eye. If I wanted to transition to being a woman all the time, I think, well, a lot of people would have batted their eyes, but my friends would have supported me. If not my family, but after I you know struggled with this concept of like am i am I actually trans like if I only want to be a woman part of the time, does that just automatically mean I'm a crossdresser like does being a crossdresser mean I'm trans like these were a lot of very difficult questions I had to grapple with for not inconsiderable amount of time.
0: I had a very similar start to my journey mm-hmm. So actually, when I was in middle school, I remember being very attracted to androgyny, not attracted in terms of sexual attraction, but more attracted in terms of like, I wanted to embody that and I wanted to be a little bit more masculine sometimes. And so I was sort of, you know, experimenting with that a little bit in middle school and I didn't get a lot of positive reactions from the people around me. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't get a lot of support. I was going to an all girls private Catholic school mm-hmm. so that was an added layer and so then i I decided that I was going to you know just be a girl and i I guess pretend to be a girl was the best way is the best way that I can say it now- mm-hmm. until I got to college and I was invited to the first drag show that I've ever been to. And I decided, well, it's a drag show. Why don't I go in drag?
2: Yeah. So I
0: decided that I was going to dress up as, uh, you know, a drag king. Mm-hmm. And I kind of took on this persona. I, I named him Nick uh, at the time. And it was a lot of fun. And I think, you know, this is a very similar kind of experience where I was enjoying it in a way that I didn't. Anticipate, and it kind of brought me back to that time in my middle school life where I was experimenting.
1: Yes, I feel like looking back, looking back at my life, I can definitely sort of see, sort of hints that I was comfortable with being a woman or being perceived as a woman. There's a rather famous family story where, in my family, family story where my sister, when I was very young, my sister dressed me up in a Little Mermaid costume. She and a friend of hers dressed me up in a little mermaid costume because the little mermaid costume was too small for them and it fit me. And I also remember as I played computer games and played RPGs, for the most part, I played female characters. And I never really examined why I made that choice critically at the time. But looking back, I can sort of see this sort of thread as I, you know, that I was comfortable with with femininity and as i've built upon my female persona and sort of settled on being gender fluid as my as my gender you know i had a lot of questions about what this meant for me and how i should proceed because i wasn't so uncomfortable i was comfortable in my in my male body i didn't want to transition fully I didn't want to present as female all the time. I just wanted to be able to do present as female whenever I wanted, and that's still a difficult thing for me to do because it's a very nerve-wracking experience to to flout that particular uh, social norm.
0: I feel like that's where, in terms of exploring being transfeminine versus being transmasculine at least some things about being trans masculine are sort of accepted by society. Like Mm -hmm. even if they're not really accepted. Yeah. Cause in the end, right. Like it's, it's not that my transness is accepted. It's that like, Oh, well women can wear more masculine things and kind of like get away with it. Yes. Um, or I'll, I'll frequently be assumed to be a butch lesbian. Mm -hmm. Right. Whereas that's a little bit more, even that's not really accepted in much of society still, but It is a little bit more of a thing where society can say, like, okay, well, there are women who present more masculinely. Mm -hmm. Whereas with somebody who is generally perceived as male, you know, if they start presenting in a more feminine way, it challenges society a little bit more. Yes. And I think some parts of society are starting to progress in that realm, but we still don't really see, like, men who are male-identified, you know, wearing dresses, Whereas yes. we do see women who are obviously, you know, women identified. Um, we do see them wearing, like, more masculine clothes. So,
1: so for example, within the kink scene, you know, I'm going to be perfectly honest with both him and with our listeners. I don't think I would have started to transition if it weren't for the fact that I was in the kink scene first. Because the kink scene is very, is very open to people performing outside of social norms especially when it comes to gender and sexuality and I don't think I would have been comfortable enough with myself if I didn't know that there were at least going to be some people that were going to accept me but even within the kink scene it is very okay for for men to like wear kilts but oftentimes when men dress in women's clothing, it is, you know, it's called cisification, you know, it's perceived as sort of a form of humiliation, which, you know, when I, when I dress as my feminine self, it's not humiliation for me, it's empowering.
0: Well, I, th- I feel like that's actually, I wouldn't say that most of the people that I know who are femme presenting aren't femme presenting in the more humiliation y way. I would say that there is definitely a kink niche for that, like for cissification and for forced feminization and everything like that. Mm-hmm. But I have even gone to classes where they talk about cissification, for example, or forced feminization. And even some of the people who are even into the humiliating aspect will even say, actually, a lot of the times I feel very empowered.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So even humiliation is like kind of... Yes. Because uh, some people, I even know some people who they were identifying as... as men previously they were really in a were really in a forced feminization and then they realize you know they actually really feel really empowered through this and then they actually realize oh wait I'm a woman and it's that can almost be like a quote gateway yes into that and so I think it's fine if you take the empowerment you're sort of like it's not at all humiliating for you and that's cool and yet there's nothing wrong with people who are exploring gender through a humiliating context,
2: Mm -hmm.
0: I think it's important to just be aware of those. We need to still be aware of how the power dynamics between femininity and masculinity play out in those realms. Mm -hmm. Because yes, there is obviously, they are kind of demeaning femininity in a way, Mm -hmm. but it has to be consensual. Yes. I think it has to be, you have to acknowledge where it's coming from. But I don't think our stories are, again, not that different because... I probably wouldn't have transitioned without... Because I was doing the drag thing, and that Mm -hmm. was cool. But it wasn't until I started boot-blacking, taking care of leather, you know. And I sort of found my male, quote, persona through Mm -hmm. that. And so I I took it from drag to actually incorporating it into my identity. That was kind of like the first step for me. Mm -hmm. So I was sort of gender fluid to start with. And... I was fine with sometimes being she and sometimes being he Mm -hmm. and slowly became more agender where I was very much, I didn't really feel either. I was willing to present as femininely or Mm -hmm. as masculinely, but in terms of my identity, I was feeling more agender. I didn't really want to attach to a gender at all. And then slowly from that, actually found myself meaning kind of fluctuating between masculine and agender And it was really hard for me to make the step from acknowledging that part of me is still non-binary and is still a gender, some other thing that I'm not really even sure how to define all the time Mm -hmm. to medically transitioning. And I feel like this has to do with imposter syndrome too, because I almost feel like I'm not, or I was feeling, especially at the time, I'm not trans enough to medically transition. I'm not, I'm not masculine enough to go on testosterone and maybe in a different world where I could just be accepted as a guy exactly as I was previous to testosterone, Mm -hmm. if that could just be a thing everybody just automatically got, then maybe I wouldn't have gone on testosterone. That being said, now that I am on testosterone, it's been amazingly freeing. I feel so much better in my body. There are some changes that are not that great, but overall, I'm really happy to be on it. Mm -hmm. And it is even through going through the transition has lessened my imposter syndrome in a way, because now I feel like I'm getting more to kind of like that ideal version of who I see Mm -hmm. as who I am. And so I've actually been able to go back to accepting myself as being more non-binary in that context. So I think we talked, you talked about like kind of your lack of body dysphoria. Yes. And I think that's normal, right? So there are different types of dysphoria.
1: Yes. In fact, M shared with me a comic a while ago, which we're going to be including in the show notes. And... it explained dysphoria in a way which I had never really thought about before, because when we often see dysphoria talked about, you know, it's often refers just to body dysphoria and refers, you know, specifically to people who are medically transitioning. But this comic sort of explains that there are different kinds of dysphoria. There is mental dysphoria, social dysphoria, and body dysphoria. And while I feel like a lot of my dysphoria has to do with with being social and sort of how people interact with me because there is there's a distinct difference between how people interact with me as G than people who interact with me as L and I'm still not 100% certain whether it's because I act different or people perceive me differently but for the most part I'm very I'm very happy with my body the the things that I do want to change are things that I might get around to at some point like I thought I've looked into like doing electrolysis on my face, which I don't particularly like shaving as G. <laughs> I don't think I grow a particularly good beard as G. So just never having to worry about shaving ever again sounds like a delightfully pleasant prospect with the added bonus of I wouldn't have to worry. Like no matter how well you shave, you always have a little bit of stubble which you have to hide with makeup. So never having to worry about that again would be also nice. In fact. M and I were discussing this on the car ride here about body dysphoria and I had never really sort of connected that my desire to get rid of my facial hair was a form of body dysphoria and made me also realize like my voice, I wish I could feminize my voice better, is also a form of dysphoria.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. I think when people think about dysphoria, they automatically think about like body parts, like, oh, genitals. Right. Yeah. And like that is such a cis heteronormative reaction. Of course, as a product of our society, we're focusing on these weird shapes of things that are attached to our bodies. And ugh. anyway, I think, you know, really dysphoria, even body dysphoria is so much more than that. Like you said, it could be hair related Mm -hmm. for me. My hair hair, like, on my head hair. Yes. That gives me a lot of dysphoria. If it's mm-hmm. the wrong length, oh, I gotta go chop it off. And same with some people have, like, like shoe dysphoria, kind of like feet, almost like feet dysphoria, but, like, they feel like they have to have a certain type of shoe on or something like that. And that might have to be, that might get in, blend into, like, social dysphoria a little bit. But mm-hmm. for them, they might perceive it as being more of, like, a part of their body.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And so, yeah, vocal dysphoria is totally a thing, voice dysphoria. And there are speech pathologists or voice therapists who do work with trans people to help to feminize or masculinize or androgynize, I think, as we're getting Mm there, their their voice. And so in in addition to body dysphoria, you know, there's social dysphoria and there's kind of mind dysphoria, sort of this conflict in your own mind about what your identity is. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: And I just want to say, too, for everyone that you don't need any of these dysphoria to be trans. You could have zero dysphoria and, and be trans. Mm-hmm. So that's totally a thing. In fact, a lot of trans people say that the way that they were able to realize that they were trans is that they felt gender euphoria, the opposite of dysphoria, when they were being gendered in a way that was good to them. So, for example, for me, I feel a lot of gender euphoria when, like, a stranger calls me sir. Mm-hmm that's sort of like that good feeling. And so I feel like even looking out for those positive signs, like where do I feel more confident? Where do I feel best when I hear, you know, those words or those terminology, the language in reference to who I am? Lingu- linguistic cues can be very important. So I don't know, have you experienced any kind of gender euphoria, L?
1: I did in a very sort of backwards way, I feel like. The first time that I went out to a as L to a big kink event in our area. It was a hotel takeover, and I dressed up as L for the first time uh, in front of strangers. I played with the people as L for the first time. And I remember there being a very. This might relate more to social dysphoria, but I remember there being a point where I had. Because I was volunteering for this event, I decided at a certain point that I was going to change back into being G because I was going to be volunteering to like two in the morning and I was not going to be wearing heels to two in the morning. There's a point where after I, you know, I went into the bathroom, changed, I came out. I saw somebody who I had been talking to earlier and had only ever met me as L. And, you know, I said hello. And they just kind of gave me that sort of dismissive nod that I suspect a lot of men get at these kinds of events. I was like, oh, I really, (laughs) I really miss when I was talking to you as L right now.
0: That's fascinating because I remember when I was starting to build my boot black persona, my boy persona, and I would, you know, give boot blacking classes or be on the stand and I would be boot blacking and I would be all dressed up in like my more masculine kind of boot black persona. And then I would get changed out of that. And then people would like not recognize me and then they would be like, and uh, I would mention bootblacking or something. And they would be like, oh, you were the bootblack black that did my... I was like, yes. And same thing. I actually kind of felt like people were not more dismissive towards me when I was more, fem- like, more femme. Mm-hmm. It's not that they were more dismissive, but I feel like it's almost like there is a little bit of this fetishization. Mm-hmm. So it's not even like being more attracted to you or I because we are expressing ourselves in a way that is positive for us. But sometimes it's like almost that internalized fetishization of trans people. Mm-hmm. And I noticed that a lot, like pre-T, that when I was presenting masculinely, there was a lot more fetishization, fetishization of who I was.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And so, yeah, I mean, there's definitely can still feel good. Like, that's not to say, like, you know, fetishization sucks. Yes. And I think especially when you have, like, imposter syndrome around being trans or queer enough it just kind of like validates that because then you're like you're kind of like well this isn't me all the time or would these people even like me if they knew who i was 90 percent of the other time or
1: yes i i had a very confusing interaction at at the same event where there was somebody who i'd known for a couple of years we were in the same polycule but sort of a meta 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 more and I dressed up as L, and for the very first time, this person showed interest in me and actually kissed me, mm. which was a very I mean, I like being kissed, you know, whether I'm G or I'm L, but it was very confusing for me emotionally because it's like, does this person only like me as L? I don't, for our listeners, I don't feel like. Because a friend of mine asked me this as I was sort of building this persona. Is L a different person, essentially, than G? And I don't feel like L is a different person. It's just the female version of me. I have the same interests. It's not like I become feminine and I decide I'm submissive instead of a sadist. I'm still sadistic. I still have the same interests. I don't feel like I'm a different person. So it's very weird to me that somebody is only attracted to me in a, certain, in a certain persona when they've interacted with me several times outside of that persona.
0: Yeah, and I think this is where it gets tricky because attraction is not action. Yes. And also people's attractions are involuntary. Yes. So people who are attracted to femininity are just going to be attracted to femininity. And mm-hmm. if that person is attracted to femininity and they're not attracted to masculinity, that can play a huge role. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, it's the same for me when I'm around people who are attracted to masculinity. They're more attracted to me or they're more into me when I'm presenting more masculinely. And when I present femme, they're kind of like not as interested. Mm-hmm. But I think it's different when you get to the level of partner. Yes. Because then, like I was saying about you, Elle, like I'm attracted to you either way. And I'm I'm asexual, so I'm not really... At least I'm not always and I'm not often sexually attracted to you. Mm -hmm. I'm aesthetically attracted to you um, as both G and L. And I really enjoy your aesthetic. Like, I enjoy looking at you in a dress and these very nice... Stockings. Stockings. I don't even know the word because I haven't worn stockings in forever. But, you know, like, it's a very nice aesthetic. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: I think it's very beautiful. Thank you. But, so my attractions are involuntary.
2: Yes. But
0: I'm your partner, so... For, for us, you should do you and you should express yourself how you want to express yourself. And that's going to change a little, little about how I want to actually interact with you. Yes. Because, like, action is different from attraction.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And I think just since we're kind of on the sexuality topic... Mm-hmm. I know this might be an abrupt change. We can come right back to trans stuff in a second. We're talking, too, not just about being trans enough, but also being queer enough. And I feel like with asexuality... It is often brought up in the queer communities that ace people are not LGBT. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of imposter syndrome around. Like, am I queer enough? And even looking at... Because I really do have this lack of attraction that other people seem to understand. Yes. And in the kink community, there's a lot of people in the kink community who are allosexual meaning they experience sexual attraction. Mm-hmm. And there's a good amount of aces in the kink community too, fortunately, but I feel like still there's a lot of people who are like, "Well, how can you be kinky and ace?" So that's frustrating for me. Mm-hmm. So on top of the trans stuff, there's the ace stuff, but what is your experience being feeling queer enough?
1: So I I definitely felt like towards the beginning, I was very hesitant to use to identify as trans and identify as queer because I felt like I was taking up space. I felt like I was, as somebody who is okay with being masculine or being okay with their gender 80 to 90% of the time, it felt weird. I felt like I was taking up space from other people. Like, do I really deserve to be here if I can just pass as myself? And and for our listeners who don't know, I, th- I think we should talk about passing privilege right now. And it affects, it affects a lot of people in, in the queer spaces. And it also, it also affects me outside of the queer spaces because I'm actually, I'm actually a person of color, but I am ambiguous enough in my coloration that I can, for the most part, pass as white. Most people don't, from what I've gathered from talking with people, most people don't assume I'm white, but I'm ambiguous enough in my coloring, like, well, I guess, I guess G could be Italian, or from Italian descent, or something else, but, you know, that, that's another, I guess we should actually define passing privilege.
0: Yeah, so also I want to put some quotes around passing,
2: Mm -hmm.
0: uh, because this can also be like kind of a loaded word for a lot of people passing is sort of a stupid concept in general but basically you know it's this this thing that kind of society has set up that if you can be perceived as that thing so if like mm. if you are yeah, no perceived as a woman then you're passing as a woman if you're perceived as white or can be perceived as white then you may be white passing and if you're like let's just say you're bisexual but you like let's just say you're a man you're bisexual but you're currently dating a woman, a lot of people would say like, oh, well, you're in a straight passing relationship because you pass as straight. Yes. So you have some straight privilege within the context of that relationship. Yes. Even though you yourself are bisexual. Yes. So, yes. So there is passing um, is that kind of loaded word. And it sucks because a lot of trans people feel like they have this pressure to pass. Yes. Like they want to be perceived as a gender that they feel that they are. Mm hmm. And also, I'm going to briefly take a moment to say, you don't have to want to be perceived as the gender that you actually are. I know that that's also a hard concept to wrap one's head around, but at my core, I still feel like I'm very non-binary, and I would say that really most of the time, I'm like mostly agender. Yes. Still, at my core core. hmm But I would rather be perceived as masculine. Yes. I mean, I'm fine with being identified as more agender- and using they, them, or more masculine using he, him. I'm fine with either. But I feel like it's just easier in my daily existence just to be masculinely identified. Mm-hmm. So especially with strangers, it's just, it would be easier if they could just look at me and they would just be like, okay, sir. But really at my core, I feel like I'm more agender, agender some form of non-binary. So, but yeah, so passing privilege, the idea that you're being perceived as a certain gender or race or sexual orientation and then the privilege that comes along with that. So, yes, if you are be passing as a privileged kind of, you know, if you have mal- male privilege, if you're passing as a man, then you have some male privilege. So even if you don't want that privilege, I think this is something else that's important to say. Is that, like, privilege is not earned. It's just given to you.
1: Yes. Like just... nobility. <laughs> it is something that is granted to you. You don't have to do anything for right. it. You
0: just, you're just given it. And so people who are perceived as men or male or masculine, even if they are not actually, yes. they still get this male privilege from society. Society just shoves it on them. Mm-hmm. And similarly, people who are more femme-perceived or perceived as women, they tend to lack that male privilege. Yes. So so that's passing privilege.
1: So as somebody who who can pass as male because I am AMAB, uh, assigned male at birth. I I was highly aware when I was starting this process that I'm fairly lucky in that I don't feel this dysphoria that wants me to transition fully and with all the uh, risks that come with transitioning fully. And when I say transition fully, I I mean just transitioning so that society perceives me a certain way. You can transition fully without fully medically transitioning.
0: Yeah, you transition fully to whatever extent you feel that you've transitioned fully. Yes. So here, L is using that in her way to say uh, she doesn't want certain type of medical transition.
1: Yes. So I, I was highly aware of the fact that there are lots of trans people who are in much worse situations than I am, and it felt weird to be sort of occupying the same space as them, or to use the same identifier, and I I didn't want to take space from the people that I felt like really needed it, because I wanted to, I want to support trans people, I wanted to support trans rights, I didn't, you know, there's all this talk about, you know, being a good ally, and part of being a good ally is not taking voice away from from the people that you're trying to help out. And I wondered if me being trans would be like taking voice from people who needed it more than I did.
0: I think that's a valid concern to have. And I think that this is something that trans people go through if they have any degree of privilege. And I think think it's hard to find someone who doesn't have privilege in some area in their life, right?
1: Yes. I mean, we often talk about Male privilege, but there's also privileges that you get as female in our society. There are privileges you get for being white. Able-bodied. Able-bodied. And and these privileges are often context-sensitive. Yes. So, you know, there are privileges that you can get, you know, depending on the context of the situation, like being you know, Asian, you often, you know, get this assumption that you're going to be doing well academically, especially in mathematics. And, you know, sometimes this can be helpful for you. Sometimes it can be a hindrance to you, uh, depending on the context of the situation where it's like, well, yes, I am good at mathematics. So, you know, getting this assumption will help me out. But if you are Asian and not good at mathematics, this is a real annoyance to you because like, no, I'm, you know, not all Asians are alike. I've been here for three generations. I'm from Brooklyn. Right. Uh, so, you know, I'm not better at math than anybody else.
0: Right. And like you were saying, yeah, they're context sensitive and there's a lot of dimensions of privilege. So, you know, you can always think like there's always someone who has it worse than everybody else. I mean, there's there's one person on the planet somehow, if we could calculate it, that has it somehow possibly worse than everybody else. But that's not very helpful to think mm-hmm. about it that way. Yes. Um, so we can just understand that privilege is multidimensional, mm-hmm. it's context-sensitive, and that we should try to all be aware of how those dimensions interact with us.
1: Yes. So I I talked with T, because uh, this was before I met you, Um, I talked with T about this a lot, and she, she encouraged me a lot to sort of keep on going with exploring this particular identity. And she very much sort of told me is like if you think you are queer then you're queer enough if you think you are trans and you're trans enough it is merely up to you to say how you want to identify yourself and you can control your actions so that they reflect positively on your identities
0: i think something that you were saying is like being identifying as something right Mm -hmm. and this is something that in the linguistic realm of you know, intersection of language and gender, there's this movement right now to kind of push away the identify as language. Yes. Instead of saying like, oh, I identify as male, you just say I am male.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Instead of um, I prefer he, him pronouns, just my pronouns are he, him. Yes. And I think that there's some value to this movement Mm -hmm. um, because I think it helps combat this. Am I trans enough? Because you don't say like, I I identify as, because that separates you from cis people Mm -hmm. in a way, or it might make you feel like, I don't know, like you're not really the gender that you're saying because you identify that way does that make sense that and there's just kind of like this pushback
1: that does make that does make a certain amount of sense however i'm sort of i'm a, a big believer that everybody has several identities within themselves uh depending on and you know different identities can raise of importance depending on the context of the situation. So for this podcast, for example, like the identities of being kinky, nerdy, and poly are sort of the prime identities that I'm putting forward. These aren't the identities I put forward when I go and meet my parents.
0: (laughs) Right, and I think for me, I still preserve identity language for myself Mm -hmm. because I like saying like I identify as masculine. Um, That's especially helpful because my actual gender inside, kind of my internal gender feeling can be conflicting with that occasionally. Mm -hmm. So sometimes it's really helpful for me to use the identifying language. And like you said, identifying can apply to more than just trans. It could just be like, I identify as kinky. Yeah. It's almost like saying I identify with being kinky. Like Mm -hmm. that's something that resonates with me. And that's how I take that language. But I also understand the push to say, like, oh, I am kinkier. I am trans.
1: Yeah. I, I, you know, going a little bit back to our to our needs and wants episode, it's important to judge, like, which identities are most important to you. So, for example, like, I identify as gender fluid, but when I am Lucy, I am Lucy. I don't identify as Lucy. Right. I think it's important for, for people to sort of have that sort of self-knowledge of which things are your identities and how those identities inform your personality. You know, I'm very nerdy. You know, identify as a nerd. I don't think that, and and I understand like the various ways that impacts my personality. Like I'm, I very much want to talk about these subjects and not these subjects. You know, I'm very much interested in these things and not these things. So I think that I think that sort of understanding that you can both be something and identify with something is important.
0: Yes, absolutely. You can be both, in other words. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I think that's super important. So I think for people who might be grappling with their identity, because this is sort of how I wanted to end this episode, was thinking about, in my head, what advice would I give to people who are exploring their gender or their sexuality and they're feeling like, am I actually this thing? And my biggest advice to people is to just not rush. There's no rush and you don't need to get it right the first time. One of the best advices that I've gotten is that it's okay to be this now and be something different later. Mm -hmm. So there's no reason to feel like an imposter because even if this is not all of who you are, this is, you know, or who you're going to be in five years, that's okay too. You're allowed room to explore you're allowed room to even mess up or get your identity wrong or find out later that your identity changed. I think a lot of people want to think that they hear the rhetoric of the trans kids that transition when they're really young, five or six, they knew from birth, you know, they're the gender they say they are. Mm -hmm. And that's really cool that people have that experience. I, that wasn't my story. And that's not a lot of trans people's stories, especially today as we become more educated and aware of what it is to be trans and what it is to be queer. And so if your story doesn't match the overarching
2: narrative, yeah,
0: if it doesn't match that, that's okay. And that doesn't necessarily mean that you're lying or you're making it up. And even if you realize like you decide to explore your gender a little bit and then you end up realizing that, hey, I'm actually cis, but I just really like to present X way. That's okay. Totally valid. And I feel like people should give themselves room to do that. And to take their time because there's no rush. This is something else that I try to say is like, if you're not sure and you're just exploring, just go with it. Yeah. And I, yeah, for me personally, too, and I want to say, I'm, the, I'm not saying every trans person has to do this. Seeing a therapist who is gender knowledgeable and yeah. they themselves actually are a gender, they were a huge, or not a gender, non binary. I'm sorry. They were a huge help to me mm-hmm. because you know, they were willing to support my journey, and that there was no pressure or rush there.
1: Yes. Uh, Do you any my-
0: advice? Yeah,
1: I-, I didn't receive any advice along those lines, but I sort of came to a similar conclusion when I was sort of grappling with what identity to use as for myself and for Lucy. You know, was I cross dresser? Was I gender fluid? Was I trans? I I eventually decided that. It, it It took me a year essentially to figure this out from the first Halloween party that I went that I dressed up at uh, as uh, Lucy from the and the Divine. I eventually decided it's like look, I don't think I'm a cross dresser because I do not feel masculine when I cross dress uh which seems to be an element in cross dressing from what I've read online. I think I'm gender fluid, which automatically means that I'm trans and I'm going to have to figure out the rest of the stuff later because just just having those—I mean, these labels are both important and not important. I was always—I was probably always going to start dressing more femininely uh, after that Halloween party because of the way that I felt. But just sort of having your understanding of the label and just going forward. You know, with the understanding that you might feel different in a couple years, you might change your mind or gain new information, which will change your label, because it, it could have very easily gone that I decided I was a crossdresser, and after, I suspect, after a couple years of that, I probably would have gained some new information. I would have been like, oh, actually, I think I'm, I'm trans-feminine. So I, I'd say to people, if you're exploring your gender, don't be afraid to... Just make decisions and be willing to make corrections. Uh, So far, I haven't regretted deciding using gender fluid, but I'm also aware of the fact that my gender identity might change. It might be, you know, in the future, I decide to go feminine all the time, or it might be I decide that, you know, I am will be G 95% of the time instead of sort of the 90, 80 to 90% of the time that I am right now. So, you know, it's... It's okay to change your mind later. We're all we're all just figuring it out as we go along and it's uh it's important to be able to forgive yourself.
0: I think one of the things that kind of stuck out to me that you said there is that it's both important and not important and this is one of my favorite phrases and it kind of reminds me of the Buddha who was, you know, he's like life is neither existing nor non-existing and he set up these, you know. Mhm. And I had someone ask me about that and he was like, this is what stresses me out about religion is like, why why would the Buddha be so, uh, you know, ambiguous about this? Like, why wouldn't he just come out and say it? Why doesn't he operationalize his terms? <laughs> and he was like, isn't it important? And I said, it's neither important nor unimportant. <laughs> and I think that that's where people... Yes, your identity is very important. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, it's okay to not take yourself seriously.
1: Yeah. Sometimes. Mm. Uh, So I'm also going to include in the show notes, uh, besides the comic, there's a really great article, uh, well, blog post that I feel like explains sort of the concept of passing privilege and the imposter syndrome in the queer community. And if I was a prepared podcaster, I would have included our our sign off, but you were
0: not. But I was not. So you're going to go get that right now. We're going to awkwardly pause.
1: So this should be the order for this episode.
0: This is M. This is L. Don't be afraid to love how you love.
1: Love what you love
0: and love who you love.
1: If you'd like to get in touch with either M or myself, you can tweet us at KNP Podcast. You can find us at knppodcast.tumblr.com. Or you can email us at kinky.nerdy.poly at gmail.com. I'm trying to find a position I'll be comfortable in.
0: Okay. I'm questioning all of my sexuality right now.
2: what
1: i'm
0: just questioning a lot of my
2: sexuality okay (laughs) it's fine